We want to be a neighborhood-focused church. And you might be thinking, Matthew, our roots up to this point have been thoroughly in the Bible. Like, so we got reconciliation in the Bible. It's clear. Humility, yep, that's there. Authentic community, being the people of God, yeah, that's there. But neighborhood-focused, is that really something that's in the, in the Bible? And that's a good question to ask. You should ask that every time you come to church, whether it's here or another church, someone uh, claiming something about Christianity. should be curious, right? Is, is that in Scripture? And I am, uh, I'm going to be transparent with you just for a moment. I am a, uh, a fact checker. Like, I, I just, from the time I was young, have been incredulous to just about everything I've ever been told. Like, you, no, I don't believe that. I'm gonna, let, me, let me look that up. Let me look that up. And, and the having a smartphone has only made it worse, right? Because I can, I can fact check you on the spot. And um, so I have some guys that I play, play basketball with, and, and after the game, we, we go um, and hang, hang out and, and, and eat stuff together. And we talk about sports and life. And one night, we were talking about uh, Charles Barkley. Anybody ever heard of Charles Barkley? If you're a basketball fan, he's been retired for a year, the round mound of rebound. Uh, now, he was an undersized player for his position. And usually guys that play in the post, forwards, you know, run about 6'8 to 7 foot tall. So he was, he, was, uh, he was a smaller guy. And so we were having a discussion, and one of the guys we were with was like, oh, he was only 6'4. I'm like, no way. So he was 6'6. Six six. So you know what I did? I looked it up. I fact-checked him. He's 6'6. Six six. I was right. I don't remember those times I was wrong. You know what I'm talking about? I only have examples from times I was uh, your lawyer remembers. Don't sh- put your hand down in the back. That's my wife. Uh, this, other, this other time, two years ago, I'm just trying to peel back the layers of Matthew for a moment. I, had, I was having dinner with a friend from college, and I hadn't seen him in, it had been several years, but we're, I was at his house, and he, he lives in Texas and away from, it's just been a while since we had, had seen each other. And um, so we get down, and for some reason we got to talking about theology, you know, real, real deep stuff. And uh, he remembered our, one of our beloved professors saying something um, that I knew our professor would never say. And we, so we were having this argument, and I'm like, I just, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. Now, we're, we're talking about something that happened 15 years ago. And, and so we had this conversation, like, okay. And so I left there. This is bad. Drove home. The next day, I emailed the professor. <laughs> I mean, that. <laughs> that's taking fact checking to the uh, in fact I've, I went and found the uh, I still had the, the email and I said I recently had a conversation with a classmate of mine and we were I've got issues alright I get that and we were discussing his journey uh, to Calvinism we were talking Calvinism Arminianism he mentioned that that you said Calvinism makes sense biblically but not logically and that's why you're not a Calvinist I questioned his recollections. It's been a few years after all. I told him, I think he got it backwards. Could you give me some clarity on your thoughts on the topic? I'm not looking for your stance on Calvinism, but for clarification on the statement above. <laughs> my, uh, my guess would be that, that you'd be a Calvinist if it was biblical, but not necessarily logical. Again, this his perspective. I feel like I need to defend your, your honor. <laughs> See how I, I, I cloak it? It's for you. I don't uh, so he emailed me back some things, and um, he's a wise, a wise professor. And he said, at any rate, yes, you were right, but don't lord it over him. <laughs> my friend still doesn't know that I was right. So I did not uh, respond. And I mean, 
So if you tell me the population of the earth are 7.4 billion people, I'm not going to believe it. I'm going I'm to, I, I go, I fact check it. That's, and I didn't, um, can you see how that would be annoying? <laughs> I didn't figure that out until last week, that that was annoying. So I'm trying to, I'm in the road to recovery, and uh, I still fact check, but only after the person's left my presence and I keep it to myself. But uh, when we're talking about scripture and things that I share up here, if I want you to fact check me and to know scripture and to study scripture, and that's all right. And, and if you find that, uh, Matthew, I don't, that's not what I read here, and can you explain that? And we may get to a point where we may not agree, but we're family, and family doesn't always agree, right? But I hope that what I share on Sundays is rooted in the word of God. And we talk about being a neighborhood-focused church, and where do we get that? Where would that come from in scripture? I think um, I mean, when we go real big picture, we find it in the greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second greatest commandment is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love your neighbor. And I think it, we could extend that to neighborhood. And so my question for you is, do you love your neighbor? Like the person who lives next door to you, do you, do you love that person? Um, are, they, are they annoying? Are they someone you don't get along with? Are they pushing the boundary lines? Are they making noise in the middle of the night? Like what do you, do you love your neighbor? And as a church, we want to, to love our, our neighborhood. And so it comes from the greatest commandment. I also think it comes uh, from, from the God, the Godhead. Let me say the Godhead. Last week we talked briefly about the Trinity and how the Trinity as community, three in one, informs us as a community. God is a community amongst him, himself, as hard as it is, is for us to wrap our minds around that. And so we have community. And so I'll put it like this. If the nature of God is Trinity, models your relational calling, we talked about last week, as family. Then the incarnation of God demonstrates your missional calling to live in time and place. That's worth that's a lot to unpack, so let me say it one more time. If the nature of God is Trinity, models our relational calling, three, three is one, but God living in community, then our, the incarnation of God demonstrates your missional calling to live in time and place. And by incarnation, I'm talking about when, when God became man in Jesus Christ, when the Son came and took on flesh. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved in, to the neighborhood. That's what the message version said. The word became flesh. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And, and God has called us to be a tangible expression of God in our neighborhood. Does that, does that make sense? That's what he's, he's called us to do. And, and so when we look at the gospel uh, and the, the story in Scripture, the gospel is filled with proper nouns and the names of real people and real places, like Jesus of Nazareth, like these... Um, and when I read scripture, it's, sometimes it's hard to have a frame of reference, right, for all the names. Like they were in this city, then they went over here, and I don't know really how to pronounce those things, so I just skip right over it. And like, but if it said something like, uh, Jesus was in Lakewood, and he went up to Evergreen, like all of a sudden I have some, some type of frame of reference. And, and what we find in scripture and in the gospels are all kinds of locations and places. I've got a list here just from the gospel of Matthew. Those are all the places that Jesus, his disciples, 
You can't say 90%. That's all right. You don't have to say them. <laughs> uh, but my, when, when I read those, a lot of times for me, I'm just, you know, skipping over that, getting to the teaching. Or, uh, but I, I think there, are, there is something for us to take away from that, is that Jesus came to a specific place. He came to a specific culture. He came to a specific time in history and was present there. Does, does that make sense? I mean, you look at those, we have nations and regions to fields and, and houses, and if you were checking these places out in Google Earth, sometimes you'd have to have like the wide angle way up high. Sometimes you'd have to go to street level to see where, where Jesus went. But these were actual places in history. And one, one author and Christian activist put it this way. He said, the seeds of the gospel are really small. They're really about meeting God at dinner tables and in living rooms and little towns that may not be known by the rest of the world. But it seems like that's exactly what happens when God moves into the neighborhood in Jesus. It's that which I think we're invited into is to grow in, into a neighborhood, to plant ourselves somewhere and to get to know the people there and to see the seeds of the kingdom grow there. Uh, so I think that we are supposed to like, be present in our neighborhood, wherever God has us, to, to look around and to see what's going on. To, to be aware, to see the, the good things that are happening, the, the bad things that are happening, and to know what's happening around us. And even if you look at, at church history, after the death of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, the, the disciples came together, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then they were to go out to take the gospel to different places. And originally, there was a church in Jerusalem, and they stayed there for a while. And a little, later this year, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to go through the, the book of Acts, just Front, front, start to finish. We're going to look through the, the book of Acts. But uh, they were pretty comfortable. Then some persecution hit and they spread out. And then we have uh, Paul travel to different places. And when, as we read scripture, we can overlook sometimes that he stayed in places for multiple years at a time. Like he wasn't just there, have a few converts, moving on to a few places. But like he in invested and then he had a, uh, leaders that he would put in place there. And so then he would write letters like the uh, Romans. Uh, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians. Like those are all uh, letters to churches in a particular place. Does that, does that make sense? So the, the church wasn't divided by, by culture. It wasn't divided uh, so much by language, but it was divided by, by place. So you had a, a church in this place over here, a church in, in this place over here. Um, and so that's the way it went. And, and in a culture that was defined so much by bloodlines and tribal identity, the early Christians excelled at welcoming strangers with dignity and love in, into, the, into the church. Now, that's how, how it started, but it changed about 400 years later. The uh, emperor Constantine, he became uh, a Christian. We, we don't know the, the depth of his conversion, but um, when he became a Christian, uh, the, way of, the way of Jesus suddenly went from being illegal and persecuted to having status and protection. Or it went from being marginalized to privileged. That was how just the history of the church and what happened. Um, the church moved from being a localized presence in the neighborhood to a centralized power within a hierarchy and a bureaucracy. Like Matthew, that's a lot of fancy words. What are you trying to say? Like, what does that even mean? Well, instead of just neighborhood expressions of the church, now you had uh, people in authority saying, This is what you need to do, this is what you need to do here, who were disconnected from the place where the people lived. All right, and, and that's um, something that we're trying to, uh, a lot of churches these days are trying to recapture the idea of the local neighborhood church. There was a uh, social psychologist 
she's observed that when the church left its, its historical focus within the neighborhood, it ended up becoming homogenous. Everyone looks and thinks alike. And consumer-oriented. And it was no longer uh, about the neighborhood. And, and her name is Christina Cleveland, but she said, Today's churchgoers tend to shop for churches that express their individual values and are culturally similar. American society has engaged in a spiritual consumerism that some scholars pejoratively call Burger King Christianity. Right? Just go, um, you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about. Like, we all kind of congregate and go, and not so much based on where we live, but people we're like. And being a neighborhood-focused church focuses us to, to reach across and to connect with different people. Does that make sense? People who maybe don't think like, like we think. Um, and from the, the, the beginning of the Hills Church, we've had a, a desire not to be a, um, um, like a church that just shows up, sends out a, a mailer, knocks on some doors, like, hey, we're here to save you, Park Hill. Like, we've got something that, that you need. You know, and, um, and it's a little bit like cross-purpose, how they're not coming at poverty as like, hey, we're here to, to help you, but we're coming alongside alongside you and it's a different different mentality and so we we ask questions about the neighborhood and I, I hope it's questions that you'll ask like what is the story of the neighborhood what is the history of, of park hill if you've been here for a while you know and as a church we are blessed to have folks who have lived in the neighborhood for a while that have some history and i'm just gonna take a quick poll if you've lived in or around park hill for 20 or more years well, you, you mind just putting your hand up in or around the neighborhood for 20 or more years fantastic Fantastic. All right. All right. You're not, you're not 20. I see you back there breathing. You're not 20. All right. You'll get there. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's 20 years. Any, anyone lived in the neighborhood for 30 years? 30. 30. 30. Uh, 40 years? You've been here? You've got 40 years of history here. In, okay. All right. I'm going to get past some of you here soon. Uh, 50 years. Anybody been in the neighborhood for 50 plus years? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand for the next one if you don't want to. Uh, anybody been in the neighborhood for 60-plus years? Oh, we, we do, Miss Jefferson. And that, uh, to me, that uh, we have, oh, I, I mean, I'm lost for words. Um, and uh, so speaking of Miss Jefferson being in, in the neighborhood for a while, there's a, a farmer's commercial you may have seen that says uh, they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Okay. Miss Jefferson knows a thing or two. She's, she's seen, a, seen a, a thing or two. And uh, about a week ago, I had the privilege to, to sit down with her for a few minutes and ask her some questions about the neighborhood. I thought it would be enlightening uh, for all of us. She didn't want to do it here live. That's a, and so we're going to just show uh, it's about eight minutes of a conversation that Miss Jefferson and I had. Murdis Jefferson. Alvin, can you grab the lights? Uh, I've lived in Denver since 1948. Okay. I came here right out of high school. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Can't leave. When I came here, I had a true culture shock because I had never had to live like I had to live here in Denver. Just the struggle? The struggle. Mm -hmm. Where did you move from? Louisiana. Okay. Mansfield, Louisiana. And what, so you came with your, your parents? or after No, I came out here with, uh, <laughs> with my sister. And uh, I babysit for her. Um, and 
I came out here really, and I, it's a story that I don't like to tell. I came out here because my parents didn't want me to be home because I had got pregnant. So I, I left, and, but it was really hard out here. I didn't know really how to be a, an adult. So that was 1948, mm -hmm. and then you moved here in, in 1962. Mm -hmm. What have you enjoyed most about living in Park Hill? Well, before I came here, the kids didn't have the freedom of a, of a yard and the ability to, you know, to just be out, you know what I mean. And how many, how many kids did you have? I have four kids. Four kids. And how many grandkids? I have ten grandkids. And, uh, now, do you have any great-grandkids? Seventeen great-grands. And, and four great-great-grands. You have four great-great-grands. <laughs> great. Uh -huh. Wow. When you moved here, you were one of the first black families in this, in this in block. In this block. Uh -huh. And, and, the, and, uh, and the whites just, just took off. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, uh... It, it was really funny. Now, I didn't realize it, but then the kids were having a lot of trouble with the whites. Mm. Uh, they were having trouble with them when they walked to school and stuff really? like that. And uh, but I didn't realize it. I mean, I just thought they were, you know, giving you a tale they didn't want to go to school that day. Sure. <laughs> uh -huh. Because I didn't have that type of a system when I grew up. Because really? I grew up in a in a in a all black neighborhood. Okay, all mm -hmm. right. So you didn't have nobody bothering you. Yes, you know what I sure, mean. Sure, uh, And and stuff. So I didn't realize that. I thought when we came to the north, <laughs> from <laughs> right. the south, sure. that things were equal. But I found out that this was the most prejudiced mm. area that you could have moved to. Mm. Not coming from a mixed group, you know what I mean? Right. And then have to come and try to blend in with a mixed group. It was really, really difficult. Um, yeah. You wanna, don't want to hear that life. I do want to hear that life. No, no you don't. I mean, I mean that, that's, uh, I mean, for myself, mm -hmm. not having to face that kind of thing, mm -hmm. that, that helps me get a better perspective. It helps me understand where you're, you're coming from. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's very important mm -hmm. for for folks like me, for white folks, young white folks mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. that live back through I remember through the, the first sermon that you, what I went to that you preached, you talked about how privileged you guys were over, you know, other races. Sure. And when I look back over my life, I can see where all the blocks that was there that you didn't have sense enough to know that they were blocks for you. Sure. I remember the, the last job I got, uh, I knew the girl that was when I needed this job and I had gone to her and she had told me to come out and um, put in an application, you know. And she hired me right, right, that, right there and down in the basement she said, you're hired Mertens, you know, go upstairs put in an application because you have to formally put in an application, you know. I, when, I go up, when I went up there and asked for an application for respiratory, they said, we don't have any openings. <laughs> and that's how life is. And I said, well, I said, I've already been hired, you know what I mean? And, 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 uh, and they said, 
well, by who? And I told them, and, and they said, oh, okay. And they gave it to me, and, then, wow. and, I, and I got the job. But if I had just walked in there without going through this girl yeah. that I knew, you know what I mean, I would have got that job. So, 1962, 2018, that's a, quite, a, quite a span of years here in, in the neighborhood. What are some, some ways that you've seen it change over the years? Um, maybe good changes, or maybe changes that aren't so good? I've seen it go from being a very nice neighborhood where everything was yards and stuff was kept up and people had a lot of pride in, in where they lived until it just went downhill again. And then I see it coming back though. Uh, people seem to be taking more interest in their places and getting things back in order and stuff. Uh, I don't like the fact that we have crack houses and that I just cringe at because even though they say it's not um, detrimental to you, I think crack is, I mean, uh, weed and stuff is, is bad on your health. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we shouldn't have so readily available to our young people. And old people too. <laughs> so looking at the neighborhood, when you moved here, it was, you had all white neighbors. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it turned, just looking at demographic studies over the years, it turned predominantly uh, black in mm -hmm. the neighborhood. Is that, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah. And now it seems like it's uh, starting to change again. It's getting more uh, mixed again, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the people that are coming in seem to be more open, you know what I mean? They're not so racist, and it seems to be okay, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's not like the first group that was here. Right. Okay. People have changed. Sure. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the the time to to chat. And it's uh, it's helpful for um, you know even as go through February and it's Black, Black History Month and, mm -hmm. and, and hearing your story and, and knowing where where you've come from and some of the struggles that, mm -hmm. that you faced and um, I think it uh, allows us to uh, to make some changes and to be aware because mm -hmm. for a lot of folks they don't know mm -hmm. like they don't they haven't faced what, what you faced and the system isn't against them and so for you to, uh, to be uh, brave enough to, to share what, what you shared, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you, Ms. Jefferson, for, for sharing, with, uh, sharing with us your, your story. And there was... There was more to that, but just for the, the sake of time, we've had to, so I'll see if I can't get the whole, whole thing together. Not for here, but for just for your family. <laughs> She's like, no. Several times, she said, don't play that. Don't share that. <laughs> that was when she was talking about her daughters. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, so, just in the a few moments that we, we have remaining, we, we want to be a neighborhood-focused church, and I want to give us a give you a few practical ways to, to do that. 
um, and then we'll move into a, a time of communion. But the first, first way that we can continue to be a neighborhood-focused church is to, keep, or is to ask questions. Ask questions. Find, find someone who's lived here for a few years and, and ask them what the neighborhood was like and how it's, how it's changed. And if, if you've been here a few, for a few years, we, we know who you are now because I had you raise your hand, um, go ahead and share the story. Go ahead and, and tell us about the neighborhood and what it's been like here and the good, the bad. Um, that's the only way that, uh, that we can know. So ask questions. Get to know your, your neighbors. When we moved in, we lived in the neighborhood for about three years, and when we moved in, we took cookies to all of our neighbors up and down the block. That's a little weird. I'm not saying you have to do that. Um, but just in those three years, about half my neighbors have changed. Right? Uh, the neighbors that have there have been there for a while. A lot of them are still there, but there were yeah, some young families that have come and gone already just in those few years. And so like, we're having to start over at square one, getting to know our neighbors. And so I'd encourage you to be intentional about getting to know the person next door. Do some research. Learn about the neighborhood. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of resources, and I'll share some with, with, with you next week. But um, even if you Google Park Hill, Denver history, there's a, a lengthy article that the, the library has online that you can read, and it talks about um, all, all kinds of eye-opening things for you. Um, do, a, do a prayer walk through the neighborhood, around your block. Just go for a walk and pray. Pray for your neighbors and, and pray that, that God would open your eyes to see who's there and to, to see your neighbors and maybe meet someone while you're out taking a prayer walk. I feel like that's a doable thing, right? Going for a prayer walk. Volunteer. One of our neighborhood schools at, at Cross Purpose. Uh, and, and there are other organizations. The Denver Rescue Mission has uh, every morning, I think morning, lunch, and dinner, they have volunteers come up to the, it's right up here on Smith Road at the crossing where they're looking for people to volunteer. The, the rescue mission serves 600,000 meals a year. Not all right up here, but downtown uh, in Fort Collins and all the food and supplies that get donated go to a warehouse that is in our neighborhood. The Denver Rescue Mission has a warehouse right up here and they have, they need volunteers to go and sort clothes and um, sort the food and then it goes out. But also if, if you need food, if you need clothes twice a month, you can go up to the warehouse they also have furniture. Like if you uh, find yourself in a bad spot and, and could use a piece of furniture, the warehouse right, right up the street for the Denver Rescue Mission. Uh, the Catholic Charities has a clinic for women who find themselves with unexpected pregnancies. It's right over here by Martin Luther King Park where they, they can get uh, free, um, free tests and, and different things and um, ultrasounds. Right? So that there is more than enough for us to be involved in in the neighborhood. And I get tired just reading through the list. And so I'm not asking you to do everything. I'm just asking you to do something in, in the neighborhood. And, and people are like, Matthew, you guys going to start, you know, this ministry or that ministry? And probably, probably not <laughs> because it's already happening in the neighborhood. Like, what is God doing in the neighborhood? How can we get involved? How can we partner with people like Cross Purpose and the, the good work that they are doing? And um, if we find a need down the road where we need to start something, than potentially, but, but God's at work. God is at work, and, and as a church, we want to be part of, of what God is doing 